You are now tuned in to the Profit Link Up. Welcome to the Profit Link Up, your community connection to small businesses in the Memphis area. I'm John, and I'm your host today. And our guests today are Dana Bunky and Kevin Crow from Crazy Gander Coffee Company. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. So glad you could join us today. I, I know we've had some members of our staff down there being able to partake in your offerings, and, and uh, we're really impressed, and we're really happy to be able to have you guys come in. Oh, it's awesome, man. Like, we're excited to, to get a chance to talk about uh, Memphis and the, and the shop. Fantastic. Well, what led you guys to start a coffee shop in the first place? Uh, well, we moved to Memphis in 2015. We were happy to be here and immediately recognized the potential in the city, especially in downtown. We live downtown. We work downtown. We love downtown. There was uh, a wonderful opportunity to invest in a downtown building, and we found the the right resources to make that happen in terms of uh, securing funding and taking advantage of some downtown Memphis Commission uh, grants that made it possible for us to kind of imagine this plan um, coming to life. It had been something that we talked about, I think, several times for several I think, years. I think a good uh, a good way to phrase it for when we talk to friends about it is like when you're young. You think about starting up a bar with your friends. Right. And then when you're older, you're like, no, that's that's late. <laughs> Maybe we could start a coffee shop and that would be fine. More our speed. Much more our speed yeah. is, is parents of two two now almost three small kids. Yeah. How old are your kiddos? We got a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and uh, one coming in July. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. A lot of COVID babies. That's a handful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, trying to, and trying to have your own business. Well, you each have very uh, diverse backgrounds to get into the coffee business. Uh, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about each, each of your backgrounds. Sure. I'm a, a direct um, response fundraising professional or mass market fundraising. We ask people directly to donate to a nonprofit, and I focus specifically on television and asking people to be a monthly donor. Okay. Yeah. And to give numbers perspective, you know, it's, it's hundreds of millions that she might raise a year for, for a large charity. Wow. And then uh, from my side, it's, I was a nuclear engineer in the Navy on submarines. I had a bachelor of arts in psychology because I didn't want to really work hard in, in college. <laughs> and then. Uh, but you decided to go ahead and work hard anyway. Yeah. Work hard, work, work hard when you're getting paid for it. Right. And, and then transitioned out of that. Uh, I was a, a junior executive at a, a uh, Japanese tech firm. And, and um, this just happened to be something that we had studied in the past in grad school and, and it was a good fit. Really timing was a, was a, of the essence here as well. We, we got a wonderful building and the time was right to do that. And, and COVID and all things aside, it really worked from a timing perspective. Well, I think that's fascinating. And, and so how difficult a transition was it to go from working for these very large companies and, and working at, 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 at a different sort of scale to working a small business, a startup? I, I'll, I'll, I'll answer it in a, maybe a, a way... I mean, it's hard when you work for these large companies to have, no matter what your level, you, you never have control. Right. And you're always fighting other organizations for funding, whether it's marketing or finance or headcount. And so the the creative freedom that we had to design our own brand, to design our own mission, vision, values, to do the structure of a business and, and be able to make a decision with just two people that were like-minded is incredibly freeing. Like you started up your own companies, you've had startups, the, the creativity you have there is just so, so much relief 
<laughs> as opposed to like a challenge. It's more just like, oh man, I can, I can, I can decide this is the right logo. I don't have to ask people. And it's it's puzzle solving. It, it's it's you get to build something. I, sometimes I, it's it's my inner child for me that I get to almost build something with Legos, as it were. And right. Get to be a kid all over again. Yeah, you get to hire the people you want. You're not saddled with. Uh, a 20 year veteran that's Im- literally impossible to fire. Right? Yeah. A lot of the skills transfer too, from what you learn in the business world and what you take away from the military, if you served and being able to apply that to business, we have a good partner. We so happen to, uh, you know, we've got a good division of labor. We like to focus on different areas, which really benefits us. Uh, yeah. Like Dana, well, Dana's so. effectively the leader of the company back office runs the organization, does a lot of the business to business stuff, which is why your team was talking with her. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just basically a shift supervisor and dealing on a daily basis with the operation of the shop and the, and the goods and, and services. We split, we split it all completely. Underselling what you do, but you do a great job. Um, you know, the, the interactions and the staff training, a lot of the things that we talk about that are most important for the staff and, and the, the side of the uh, coffee shop that people get to engage with on a daily basis. I'm behind the scenes, but Kevin is the one who really makes all that happen and, and make sure that everybody has the experience that we talk about. Well, what, a, what a great symbiosis. That's, that's, yeah. that's really cool. Well, it, how challenging is it to take work home with you every day? I mean, it's back to, it's, it's fun. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, uh, I, at my corporate job, I take work home or I try to dump it. Right. Cause it's, it's, it's a, a level of stress that's, uh, um, you know, not always fun, but this job is like, we can, we can be on a road trip be like, Hey, let's, let's talk about how we're going to build out our, our training or what, how we're going to spend the first few sessions with our full-time employees, orienting them on what we want them to do. How do we do that? And there's, there's just kind of a joy in that, that, that you don't always get from a, from a day job. You're able to impact the stress that you experience directly. And so it is stressful. It'd be a fib to say it's not stressful to live above the place that we own and operate on a daily basis because you are always on, but it's also, you know, you have the freedom to make the decisions to impact things in a very real way. And so I think that that is uh, very satisfying. Well, absolutely. And I, I would suspect anyway, that people would take their work home with them one way or another. You That's might as right. well take it home with somebody that understands what you were going right. through and they can actually help solve those problems rather, oh, than, exactly. rather than just be a listening ear, though that helps. Right. But somebody that says, okay, I hear what you're saying. Let's do this. Yeah. Yes, exactly. exactly. That's a hundred percent that. Well, that's, that's fun. Well, uh, tell me then too, how that impacts, uh, what kind of staff that you get? Well, it's, I think there was a, a question that was asked at some point about what we're most proud of. And, um, I think that's probably the thing we're most proud of is, uh, and we can get into how this, this came about because it was very intentional, mm-hmm. but we have, a. A chef to patisserie. We have a concert violinist. We have uh, people who've worked for professional sports franchises. We have three scholarship athletes. Like the the staff we have is incredible, and at the same time, uh, we've only had in twelve months one person that we've had to let go. The, really? the turnover has been almost zero. Really? The only turnover has been uh, someone going on and graduating and moving to a new state or someone going on to their, their dream career job, like things where we want to be that launching pad for them. Absolutely. But, but otherwise like, uh, they tell the story, they take ownership, they make suggestions, they provide feedback, they feel comfortable. And even the people who have left, uh, you know, they come back in the coffee shop and hang out and engage and, and have a good time. And we still, you know, connect with them and talk with them. And so 
I think we're really proud that people feel like we've created a safe space for them to grow and learn and uh, whether they're on to the next thing or whether they want to come back at some point in time, we welcome either and we're happy with both. Well, that's, that's fascinating. I, th- I think both of you, again, I think it's got to be one of those things that uh, coming from uh, backgrounds where you worked at different scales that you were able to take, here's what I saw that really worked well. Here's what I saw that I really didn't like and be able to have that sort of, uh, it, it allows you actually for being a young business to, to be a mature business right from the start. Yeah, well, actually, it's one of the things we talk a lot about. We're bringing on two full-time um, employees here uh, in about a, two weeks. And one of the things that we talk about when we first hire people is, uh, like, we we want to teach you what we know for many reasons. One of them is it helps align people to the culture better if you're if you're explaining sure. your processing or your processes. And uh, But secondly, it's, it's in addition to pay, there's an avenue for personal growth here that you may not get other places. And, and there's... There's a power in that that I think resonates really well because it's a, a level of mutual trust. But uh, for instance, uh, I was talking with um, uh, some of the team recently about uh, hard lines and soft lines. Mm-hmm. And that for the most part, the style in the shop that I have is a very laissez-faire, like technically laissez-faire. Right. That's because it works for 20-year-old staff. That's, sure. that's a best fit for the staff that we have now in COVID where – Turn low turnover matters so much. We've had so many restaurant owners in town be like, "How? How are you keeping high quality staff?" We're closing doing during due to staffing issues today. And you have like a backlog of applicants. Can I have some of them? I'm like, well, I'll tell them you're looking, but I don't. It's up to them if they want right. to get a job. That's not us. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've long maintained that we we keep statistics on uh, businesses that we work with and that sort of thing. And I've found, and we try and find the the, the correlations uh, of what actually works and what the best practices are. And if you start looking at your key performance indicators, you know, people would say, oh, well, what determines the success of a restaurant <laughs> or, or, or somebody in food service, uh, food and beverage? I'd say, you know, they, they tend to say, well, it's it's labor costs or it's, uh, it's food costs. And I, I'm quick to tell them again, because I've, I've just looked at the data on here, the number one factor I can tell you about whether or not your your uh, your food service business is successful or not is your employee turnover rate. Yeah, we, we only track two metrics, uh, really, for, and one is, uh, well, actually, we track more than a few, but our failure metrics, the ones where we say we failed, is if uh, if I have to work a shift behind the bar. Which doesn't happen very often, but but it is a failure metric. It means we have to start a new cycle of hiring people, right? Because it means we've lost the bubble. And the second one is uh, turnover rate. Those are the only two things we track. Everything else is whatever, like uh, sales. Everything will fix itself if you if you keep those numbers down. Job satisfaction is a big priority, and as well as uh, you know. Paying a living wage, we pay fifteen dollars yeah. an hour, and then there's a tip pool on top of that. So the effective earnings for these people on a two week cycle is anywhere from twenty three to twenty five dollars. Wow! And That's so, impressive. yeah, we work hard to make sure people know that they're appreciated both uh, in action and deed. But as you discuss, it, it solves so many problems to have a high wage because you, you don't have the issue of the load of training someone new and having them do it wrong. Right. There's a load there that that exists that you oh, absolutely you they delete. estimate actually that it takes it, it takes almost three times uh, three times the the money for a part time worker that they'll earn in a year to to retrain somebody else to do it. If it's a full time worker, you can count on it costing a year's salary just to replace somebody and get them trained before you pay that that replacement. Right. You no, know, and I think people look at that from a corporate standpoint a lot more than they do from a small business or a. Uh, 
uh, food service industry standpoint because you think, well, you know, I'll just hire somebody new, but that's not the case. It doesn't work that way. Right. And it doesn't provide the type of experience that you're you're aiming to provide. Well, you bet. And your, your customers want want to come in and they want to have somebody that's knowledgeable about your product and that, that knows what differentiates you from, from somebody else. And the fact is, how many times do you go to, to a restaurant or a, or a bar or anything like that? And it's a bit like a cheer sort of thing. You want to know the person. Oh, by the way, it's it's Jane. It's good to see you, Jane. That that she always waits on me, or or Steve always waits on me, and this sort of thing. And there, that it feels like home, and that's what makes you a loyal returning customer of the people, yeah. as much as it is the product. It's fascinating you say that. The because uh, you you spend time in Dallas also, so. Um, I was there for a work trip uh, not too long ago, and we were, there was a and I can't remember the name. I want to call it Bar. It's not Bar Dog. That's a that's a local Memphis place, but it's something like that. It's a restaurant group that was started in California that has expanded into Texas, mm-hmm. and we had an amazing service experience. I, I just couldn't believe how good the server was. So at the point that I called the manager over, you know, you spend a lot of time traveling. You spend in a lot of restaurants. So just imagine like the best restaurant experience you could possibly have in just like a bar, right? And you're like, I don't understand. Like, this doesn't make sense. And so he called the manager over and she like doubled down on the excellence. She's like, oh, yeah, she's been with us for seven years. Mm-hmm. And they met her husband here. They've both been here the whole time. And I've been here for like seven years or some just absurd number. Mm-hmm. And uh, we took immediately that day, we took some of their their objective sets, which is whether it's an employee or a uh, a customer, you want to make it regular. The first time they walk in the door, you want them to come back for day two. Absolutely. Uh, you want to provide them what they came for. And so for an employee, that's a shift that goes from noon to four, not 1115 to 445. It's noon to four. Right. And then when they're done, you want to let them leave. So if it's a customer that came in for a black coffee, they skip the line because a black coffee is just pour it and hand it to them. Like, right. You don't need to wait for 12 lattes. You came here for a black coffee. Here you go. Be on your way. And that, that, that application is one of those cultural elements where – the employees understand it from their perspective and know how to one-to-one translate that to a customer perspective. And so they know they have a sense and I've watched them do it where we haven't even given instructions. They know when to hand out the little freebies because they know it's been a little too long. They, they know they've done, they, they, they should do something slightly different. They know they need to have a little bit longer conversation and, and service that guest a little better. And that that's one of the things we took from a random bar in Texas. Yeah. yeah. And we did find parallels too in our in our corporate life. You know, the the hardest donation to get is not the first one, it's the second one. Ah. So you get that first donation and the hardest one to get is to make sure that you tell the story and introduce who you are and what you do in a way that makes people want to give again. And so that we've applied that to how we create uh, well, it, it sounds like you have a really well-engineered program and well-engineered uh, uh, and thoughtful way of, of doing business. I think a lot of people just think that it's a, a natural thing. I, well, I like to serve people, and so my gregarious personality will carry things. You guys have been very methodical about the way the way you're planning this, so the guest has a great experience, so the server has a great experience, and it just it becomes a, 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 a not a vicious circle, but a, a, a wondrous circle that uh, that comes right. back around again and again like i think consistency it's been very focused on consistency so that regardless of who's making your drink what barista is behind the bar or what day of the week it is you're going to leave with the great experience that you expected to have that's that's phenomenal yeah and i i think uh and i don't want to uh to to belabor a point but uh one of the things that that's a, a story that we would tell about your comment just now is we spent I want to say six months designing mission, vision, values, objectives, key metrics, 
branding six months and we didn't get our first shipment of coffee until three days before we opened. And we didn't hire our first employee until four days before we opened. Really? So we didn't even interview until five days before we opened. We had training the Saturday before we opened on a Monday Sunday or, or whatever. Like it, like we, we thought that if we got the rest of the business design correctly, that the, the rest of it would kind of just, just happen. And that, that's actually the way it's worked out because you spend so much time making your decisions in advance that when it comes time to do it in the moment, you've already made your decision. You just, you just execute. But absolutely. You know, Eisenhower used to say uh, that plans are meaningless, but the willingness to plan is everything. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, as you, as you both see, as you both, as you both served in the military and that sort of thing, that there's a, that you realize that no plan uh, meets, uh, meets the battlefield or right. survives the battlefield. Conversely, you can make the pivots if you've planned, if you planned accordingly, you, you, you're already prepared for what those eventualities might be. I've got a plan B, a plan, a plan C and a plan E, if you will. Yeah. You've got branch plans out the wazoo. Yeah. And, and the idea is that if you can, and we spend a lot of time doing this in the shop is like explaining that process hmm. to the team so that they're able to do that when we're not there. Like uh, things like, you know, if the second you think you might be getting busy, you just text me. Hmm. It's easy. You don't have to wait to be busy. You just have to know that this may be getting busy. And if nothing happens, that's a huge win. Right. And if something happens, then you call it in advance. So, uh, and text uh, you so you can come down and be back up behind the bar so yeah. that people don't experience a delay. Like, and, and that's the benefit of the 24 7 piece as well, which is also like a little <laughs> give and take. But at the same time, like you sit there and uh, we talk about how if it is going to be a rush, here's where you design a slowdown. You design a slowdown at the, at the point of sale where you're having a pleasant conversation. Because everyone can see that you're engaged and it's a pleasant conversation. And there's a slight more willingness to deal with that at a startup coffee shop, local place than there is to be waiting once you've already ordered the drink and you're standing there doom scrolling or something. Sure. Right. Like, it could, oh, I'm, I'm next and I'm going to have a good conversation. Like that's, that's a different expectation level. So that's what the staff's trained to do. That's why we designed that risk there, is to put it there. Well, it seems like the way you've designed it too allows you to take the best of being a small business and a big business at the same time. That you can say, we've we've engineered a customer and uh, employee experience that's going to be great. We've thought through these things. Nobody thinks through everything, but we've thought right. through as many of these things as we can and and really put it, you can see that in the in the way the deliverables are, are executed. However, it's got that personal touch that we're not, when the large company designs it, you were a cog in the wheel. When you designed it, you could, it seems like you could almost envision real people there. That customer has a name. Yeah. That does, exactly. yeah, and there's like a stubborn adherence to what the plan was when you started this thing. Well, we bought the building pre-COVID. And wow. so all of our planning and everything that we anticipated happening changed over the course of 2018 and 2019. And so flexibility was really the name of the game and being able to pivot, as you noted, and to kind of plan and be able to adjust that plan and know where we could deviate had been really instrumental to us and able to like open the shop and to adjust our equipment plan, to adjust our plan for anticipated traffic, um, hiring practices, keeping people on and understanding how the cost of labor impacted our, our overall bottom line and being able to adjust for that, having the open uh, communication with the 
staff so that they knew why we were making the adjustments that we were uh, was all really critical to their understanding, their ability to give us grace, our ability to continue to be flexible so that we could be profitable and and maintain, uh, you know, the the level level of service that we aim to provide. Well, I wonder, do you find because I I find this in in most successful people that. It sounds as if you found uh, a, a little bit of a, a silver lining in the in the COVID uh, horrible experience uh, to be sure that none of us would wish it again, but to say, okay, what are the positives we can take from this? Is it more time to plan and more time to refine that maybe businesses slow down more than we'd like? Great. That gives us a little bit of time to experiment, to try some new things. It gives yeah, we, us- we tell ourselves this. We tell ourselves that it was good. Uh- <laughs> Because that's the option. You have the option of telling yourself it's bad or good. And we tell ourselves sure. it was good because it gave us time to um, focus right. and to understand what is what is. Because uh, we test a lot of different stuff out, but to have a staff that when the let's say let's say the bank comes back in July, mm-hmm. uh, there's 16 empty floors with 700 employees that aren't there, and it's that we literally were counting on. that we were counting on. Sure, and just literally across the street like directly across. And, and if we had had the, the staff we did a year ago, which was largely untrained, then that, that first moment when we're trying to make a regular may have been a bad experience. And now we have a relatively locked in high performing staff. And as businesses come back, we're targeting our secondary and tertiary lines of operations, like business to business sales or um, specific event catering, things that, that we had planned on in the beginning, but you know, at that point, the shop is a marketing element to to a secondary line of business, which is which is business business sales. Sure. Well, what do you guys do for training uh, to make sure that the excellent service of today is even more excellent tomorrow? Well, the uh, uh, I'll, I'm going to plug out a guy named Lance Hedrick uh, who just started up a YouTube channel during the pan- during the COVID, and. Um, he actually mentions it and uh, we make all of our employees watch one of his videos was how to make latte art. Okay. Uh, how to make proper milk. Um, and it is the, one of the only hard lines in the shop, which is bad milk. Really? You can fix a lot of other things, but you can't fix the poorly milk's steamed. Bad, the, drink's bad. the milk's bad. The drink's bad. It just is hmm. nothing else you can do. Um, and so we make everyone watch a video and then they practice. Then they watch a video and they practice. Then they watch a video and that goes back and forth. And that's the only hard line of the shop. Is, and it's is, practice all you want. Yeah. There's no wrong answer for, for wasting milk, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to make it, to make a drink that somebody's going to want to come back and get day in and day out. And then everything else is being trained by, initially it was a lot of stuff by me. Um, and we went, my fellow Navy nukes would be like, we went sort of nuclear with our training routines, but not formal. Like we're going to shift to a formal training plan going forward. But because it, because uh, the formality of a training plan can be off putting to people that, that aren't familiar with sure. it. So, so culturally, we didn't do it too formal, but we solved a lot of the things you would see in other shops by, again, design. We went with subway tiles where all the recipes are eye level right in front of the place where you're going to be doing it. So if you need a recipe to do X, it is literally right in front of you. So you can just do it. You don't you don't have to look in a book. You doesn't matter how and if you've been there a year, I expect you to look at the recipe. You know, because it's easy. You just just check to make sure you got it right. There's, there's, there's no. shorthand for what goes on the cup. So somebody yeah. knows how to interpret what you're asking and consistency. Well, the experience of the planning sets you apart. What about your product sets you apart? 
So in general, we went with the a, a relatively high level of ingredient with syrups and uh, and teas and, and powders and all the different things you'd use to make uh, flavored drinks. On the bean side, we went with a local roaster to me out of uh, out of Greensboro, North Carolina, and the the product there is we targeted a specific like taste profile for memphis which is different which is a little more bolder flavors a little more chocolatey a little more dark roasted interesting medium roasted as opposed to fruity and acidic but we again nuked it out uh by i think we tried 30 different beans over the course of about four months a lot of testing to find ones that were consistently excellent with our machine and the garage door up or down and as humidity and temperature changes, it affects the taste. Mass- the type of drink that you're getting. Cold brew is a different bean from latte, which is a different bean from the drip coffee that we serve. Hmm. And we took feedback from customers like, this is amazing. We have actually not altered our cold brew recipe since we opened because everyone loves it. The, the drip coffee, we've altered a lot because we get feedback like this good or bad. And, and so we changed it around until we reached a point where we have something that everyone seems to like. So the quality of the beans comes from finding something that works for our shop. Okay. Say, what do you guys do to get the word out and to, to attract new customers? Well, for that, a lot of it has been uh, through social media, the website we've built out and kind of infused with a lot of our, our vision for the Crazy Gander Coffee Company brand uh, that translated into our Google profile and Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, all those different channels. Um, we try to customize the message for the audience uh, to the best of our ability. And, you know, content is king. So that's still a rule we kind of uh, apply and, and live by and look to capitalize on things that are, are happening in Memphis for the most part to uh, be able to, to demonstrate who we are and what we do and how we can become part of someone's day if they find themselves downtown. That's really cool. Well, uh, you guys have a, a have an interesting mural on the side of the building. Uh, what's the story behind that? Well, the mural uh, actually was part of uh, the original plan when we renovated the building, and our architectural firm, Urban Arch, who is also located downtown, presented us with a few different options for local Memphis artists uh, for muralists. And we talked with uh, one of them, Brandon Donahue, who's a Memphis native, but uh, moved back to Memphis here and there and is now an instructor on the collegiate level. But he, uh, we talked to him. We had a really good vibe for him. We kind of shared our thoughts on the, the funkiness and the uniqueness that we hope to provide for uh, the coffee shop experience. But we didn't want to brand the building where we live as just the coffee shop. So we landed on an interesting uh, crow lady. Uh, okay. Kevin's last name is Crow, <laughs> and you know we. There, what, what do you say? It's the smartest Kismet. of the, yeah, yeah. The smartest of the aviary, and so uh, <laughs> we ended up with a crow lady on the side of the building with a bright yellow backdrop and a and a coffee cup in her hand, and we felt like that was yeah, Dana, that was a good balance. Dana did all that ideation and and that creation with Brandon, and I was just there to be like, it looks great. This is. This is fantastic. We got a bird vibe going on. Yeah. That's fun. We talk about some of that. What, uh, both within the industry and within business and outside of that, what inspires each of you? Business world for me, it is always teaching, leading, and, and being part of high functioning teams. Mm-hmm. And, and that's more than anything else gets me excited. In my, in my corporate job, having a team that is aligning together and is collaborative, that motivates me more than money. 
money is, but if, you know, it's like everything else, it, you have to have some of everything. Sure. But, but it's, it's a reasonable scorecard to, to, to dictate how well you're, right. how, how, how efficiently you're executing. But in the coffee shop, the, uh, the daily engagement and like help, helping one of our employees start our own business, right? Just the, the mentorship part of it gets me excited to go down while she's working her shift and just help her on the shop, but also talk and, and just, just be able to be present, you know, and that's, that kind of excites me in general as a, as from the business perspective. Yeah, I would say that we're kind of aligned in that regard. I do a little bit less of the the hands-on kind of interaction, but being able to talk to people who are starting a business about the importance of mission, vision, values, how you build everything around that. Those are things that sticks with someone and that someone who's starting out can really kind of lean on and understand how to put into practice. Like you take yourself, for instance, like you do a lot of startups and it's one thing to read these things on a book and, and know that you need to do it. And it's another thing to to do it for real. And then it's another one to help someone do that. And and that helping someone do it, like kind of X, because when Dana and I did it at the beginning, we, we have the same dictionary. And so you're able to have that dialogue and build it and, and basically have a give and take. But sure. but like you, I'm sure you've dealt with this where, where you're trying to teach someone to do this correctly the first time. And it's it's not easy. Right. And and it, and some of the things that you're explaining feel a little bit soft and touchy feely in terms of, you know, creating value statements and these sorts of things or whatever. And they don't quite understand that how will you draw that plumb line will affect absolutely everything. Everything. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's been a big thing that we've driven home in terms of um, our decision making process. Does this drive our economic engine and is it aligned with our brand messages Great coffee, unique vibe, and fitting someone's flow for downtown. We've had great suggestions that the staff have made about, you know, trying something, a specific offering. But at the end of the day, our focus is on being a coffee shop, providing a great coffee and making it easy for someone to come and go as they need to. And so while, you know, the thing that you're mentioning is great and fantastic, it would mean that, um, you know, the coffee quality could suffer or that somebody would wait 15 minutes instead of five. And so sure. for that reason, it's something that we can't do. And so being able to have that dialogue and and again, have everybody understand the decision making process, I think is uh, very satisfying. And ultimately having, as Kevin mentioned, like having the experience in the corporate world where you're, you're fighting for resources or funds or just to make a good idea happen, which it's like, there's no reason we shouldn't do this. Why aren't we moving forward? But there's so many layers that prohibit you from doing that. And, and, you know, in the small business space, it is motivating just to be able to, uh, to do and execute and to make the changes and to say, well, this worked or it didn't and evaluate that and, and put it into practice elsewhere or to, to mark it down as something that you tried. And that doesn't mean you won't try it again. Uh, but for right now, it's just not the right thing. And if you want to, if there's time, I can give a little vignette yeah. on this. Please. So it's become something of a joke, a friendly joke in the coffee shop. And our actually employees have a separate text message thread that don't even include us where they just talk about the shop operations and arrange scheduling and share ideas just completely outside of us they did that on their own and um but it's become something of a joke for the employees where they know that the first suggestion they have kevin's gonna say sorry uh, as uh is this great coffee Hmm. is it is that the number one and and or where does the equipment go right 
where how do we do this logistically? And and so they are now all thinking in that regards. And there was a vignette the other day, at the beginning of May, where one of our employees had this idea of having a photo wall with like wings, like the, the gander wings. Great idea. And then the question is, where does it go? Not, 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 not bad idea. Just where does it go? Right. And the only place it could go would interrupt the way people take photos of this giant map wall we have. And so does that fit? Is it is it because it also blocks traffic? And the answer is ah, probably not. And then another employee had uh, a map wall, which you've seen everywhere. Pin map. Pin map. Sure. And and the idea is like, well, is that really unique? And the answer is no. And then they they talked about it, these two individuals, until they decided that what if we only did the map as like an annual Memphis and May event? When you're having the most visitors to Memphis, this is a pleasant stop to their day. And that's how they pitched it. I mean, pitch it to me as if I'm a random executive right. along my core values and my vision. They they worked together on it for about an hour and they said, how do I make the people know it's a pleasant stop to their day? I stopped at Crazy Gander. I put my pen in the wall. It was unique. And then every year you kind of publish that as content. Here's where people came from in May. Right. right? And that and does this year's does this year's uh, map uh, differ wildly from last right. year's map? Are we getting are there a lot more people from Oregon coming in, for instance? Exactly. And now all of a sudden you've there's and I was talking about it. You basically made a pitch where the only answer is yes. And now Dana and I are upset we didn't do it already, right? <laughs> because you designed it within the structure of our mission, vision, values. You designed it within the structure of our objectives. That is a good pitch that will work for you no matter where you go in life, right? And and the empowering and and that is empowering and that is teaching employees and that's why, to me, why somebody with with multiple talents would stay someplace is that they feel like the learning curve hadn't flattened out for them that they're heard that they get to express themselves creatively maybe they don't have the resources yet to lay it all out of the line and start their own business but I can be an entrepreneur. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and the stress of, of business ownership, sometimes you just feel like you're in execution mode and you just want to do, but it is important to to make sure that people feel heard and to listen to those good ideas when they came up. Because now we've got, you know, until May to plan and understand what this might look like in action. Yep. Did, did, I, did I miss a buzzword? Entrepreneur? Did I miss a buzzword there? <laughs> we threw one out. An entrepreneur, yes. Yeah. Is that, is that mean, what does that mean? Uh, that, you know, we, we always think about the entrepreneur, somebody that started, but, but a lot of the innovations really happen from the employees that are inside. And so it's, it's, it's working inside to take an entrepreneurial spirit to what we're, what we're executing that perhaps the, that might be the entrepreneur's big vision. How do we have buy-in on that? And how right. an entrepreneur you, that this is the value added that I created for the company. Oh, it's fantastic. Cause it's back to ownership and, yeah. and the, uh, the thing that founders we, mentality. Yeah. That how do you, how do you select for ownership? Hmm. How do you teach ownership? It's one of the hardest things to do Absolutely. is to teach ownership when you don't have a slice. And like the military does it uh, clearly, uh, otherwise they wouldn't have, <laughs> you know, hundreds of years of, uh, of experience here. But it's 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 something that I, yeah, I like that word. But uh, where do you guys see yourself ex- expanding in the future? What's what's the uh, what's the long goal? Uh, Harry audacious goal, if you will. Yeah, we um, a friend of mine. And I don't know if it came from his executive coaching or somewhere else in his life, but he had suggested that once a year he and his wife just go off by themselves for like functionally a, a planning retreat. How do you plan your family? Hmm. How do you, everyone, most everyone who's in business plans business. Like how do you, right. what, but, but really you should also have an objective for your, like, where are you trying to get to? Are you trying to retire? Are you aligned? Do you, do you actually have an aligned vision for, for what the next few years are? And so Dana and I just did that in St. Louis about a month, uh, this month actually, mm-hmm. um, where we're trying to figure out to actually answer that question. 
And so for us, uh, the answer is uh, we want to be focused on the brands that we own by 2030. And so, and there's metrics associated with that. There's a, there's a mission associated with that vision and there's values associated with it. But the idea is that that's actually the objective. It doesn't have to be the coffee company. It just has to be brands that we own by 2030. And, and if one of us has a big boy, big girl job, there's exceptions. Or if we're making money for friends at their companies, there, there's exceptions for all this. That's sure. a choice. But we don't have the option of backing away from corporate and only doing our own brands. But to echo what Kevin says specific to the coffee shop, you know, we've built out this first location as if it was the second location from um, point of sale considerations. And is this something that is transferable to other locations where we've got like our one stop shop for uh, menu development and, and, logistics, and logistics supply. It's all been sure. built as if this was the second shop, not the first. Sure. Well, I find so many times too, that it's, it's hard to convince entrepreneurs that there's so many entrepreneurs that, that think that they're business owners and they're self-employed as in the uh, example I tend to use or overuse as my, my, my team will tell you is the hit by a bus theory. If you got hit by a bus, does everything operate without you? If you don't, you're not a business owner. You don't have a system. You're just self-employed. And, and frankly, when you're in that situation, you've got the worst of bosses and you're paid less. Right. How do you, how do you make sure that you've created a system that survives, that survives you? That's good for your employees. That's good for, for them. It doesn't, it's not to say that the system has to be so confining mm -hmm. that it keeps them from being able to be entrepreneurial. It's, it's that it, it's built design by design to give them the capability to do that and to make sure that it is survivable because things come up. People get ill. People have family situations that change or dynamics that uh, that require pivots. How do you make sure that you've got that longevity? And it's not that that have, everything's going to go according to plan, but that it goes along the plumb line. It goes along the plumb line of your values, the things that you guys are right. having retreats and, and deciding to go. Yeah, because it's it's a it's a great it's a great point. Um, we specifically did not hire a manager. Really? Yeah, there isn't one because basically. If you're going to have a management layer, you have to treat that as a layer. Right. And with us living above the shop, there's a natural bypass for that, especially when we don't know what we're doing. Like, again, we, we had, I had never poured a shot of coffee in my life before we opened the shop. Loved coffee. Drank Loved a it. lot of coffee, but no experience, had never no knowledge. built a drink before. No, never steamed milk in my entire life. None of it. And so knowing that we had to build in a system where it was required that we be there every day because right. until you know a task set you can't provide a complex valuable and autonomous task to a management layer and then treat the management layer with respect because the moment you bypass a management layer you don't have a manager anymore you don't have a manager you've taken away their uh, responsibility and their authority and people hmm. recognize that and so why do it uh, I, uh, it's been so fascinating to have a chance to talk to you guys. I love the way you, you work together. I love the, the system that you're setting up and building something that along a strong set of values, a good plan provides for a, a singular, well-defined, cohesive unit that is is impressive for a startup business. And I hope everybody will take a chance to, to go out there and check you out. Why don't you tell uh, people how to find you? Absolutely. So you can find us at crazygander.com. Our Instagram is uh, under the same name as is our Facebook. You can find us on LinkedIn. And we're located in downtown Memphis at 150 Madison Avenue. Well, Kevin, tell me uh, as we as we wrap up here, tell me what makes you guys uniquely Memphis. I think that you know when you're talking about the grit and grind, you know the I loved that that logo from the from the Grizzlies uh, five years ago. It was just fantastic, and it, it's representative of the city. Like 
every day I'm taking out trash. Every day we are trying to find local businesses like Butterific Cookies, Tamika's, um, Branch Alpha Makitas. Like we sell those every day with uh, every black coffee, whether it's uh, Daniel's Beniva Mayweather cinnamon rolls or Dave's bagels. Like we're trying to do as much as we can to incorporate a small ecosystem of Memphis in our coffee shop. So we're, we're providing locally sourced goods as much as we can. And then just that hustle, just trying to just trying to get out there and 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 provide an industrious, growing, hopefully booming city, you know, something that can juice up their day. It's fascinating. Great, great concept, great execution, great product. I hope everybody will take a chance to go check out the crazy gander. I, I love what you guys are doing. You guys deserve all the success in the world. Really appreciate you taking the, the time to join us. I want to thank you uh, again, uh, Dana Bunky, crazy gander, Kevin Crow, crazy gander, and uh, visit them at 150 Madison Avenue, Memphis, Tennessee, 38103 for some amazing Memphis coffee and local food. Tune in for more local business spotlights and stories of businesses that are uniquely Memphis right here on the Profit Link Up. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thanks so much.